A very warm welcome, friends, as you join us for another online broadcast from Trinity Church. We are not able to be together as a church family. We're not able to worship together. Our gathered worship is uh, on hold at the minute, as it is in many places around the world. So we're putting together elements of our worship uh, for you to make use of at home or in family worship. Um, and we hope that these are a, a, a real encouragement to you and a, something that you're able uh, to use to come near to God with and to hear his word um, and to learn and grow from. I want, I want to give a very warm welcome to many former Trinity Church members and friends who are watching. I know that you've been tuning in in different parts of the world. You're very welcome uh, indeed. It's lovely that you're still able to do this with us in some way. And to others who just happen to find us who are watching, I hope that what you see here will be helpful and will be encouraging for you and will lead you most of all to know and to find and to love the same God and the same Lord Jesus that we do here at Trinity. What we're going to do in this video is have a call to worship in just a moment and then we're, we're going to include this week as part of our worship a song that we sang uh, a while ago at Trinity. It wasn't recorded for broadcasts like this but uh, it's been a huge encouragement to me and to others in our church family just to remember the days when we could sing together and it helps us look forward to when we can worship together again properly. So that will be included. I'm going to read from the book of Acts as well. And the sermon will be from Acts chapter 13. And then there'll be a closing, a closing song today as well. Let's hear these words then of call to worship from Psalm 92. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, to proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness in life. To the music of the ten-stringed lyre, the melody of the harp. For you make me glad by your deeds, O Lord. I sing for joy at the work of your hands. How great are your works, O Lord. How profound your thoughts. Amen. And now let's hear these words of confession of sin. Therefore, me to say and for all of us to say, uh, together, whether we say them out loud or uh, just privately. Lord, though you should guide us, we inform ourselves. Though you should rule us, we control ourselves. Though you would fulfill us, we console ourselves. So often we think your truth too high, your will too hard, your power too remote, your love too free. But they are not. And without them we are of all people most miserable. Now heal our confused minds with your word. Heal our divided wills with your law. Comfort our troubled consciences with your love. Calm our anxious hearts with your presence. All for the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. Amen. Here is God himself assuring us of his pardoning grace and forgiveness. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Amen. Our reading for today is from the book of Acts, chapter 13. And I'm going to read from verse 13 through to verse 43. The, the missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas continues the spread of the gospel 
is growing throughout the world. Now Paul and his companion set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the Law and the Prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and, motioning with his hand, said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt, and with uplifted arm he led them out of it. And for about forty years he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about four hundred and fifty years. And after that he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king and God gave them Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for forty years. And when he had removed him... He raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a saviour, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers... This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, You will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. 
As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Amen. My aim in this time together is to do for you what Paul and his friends were asked to do here, to bring a word of encouragement to you. Verse 15, it's a nice phrase, isn't it? It's a good thing for any preacher to be told as he's clipping on his mic and as he's clearing his throat, getting ready to speak, bring a word of encouragement to us. That's what Paul aimed to do here in preaching a sermon that was a word of encouragement. And my sermon on this sermon aims to do exactly the same thing, to encourage you. This is going to be a sermon on the person who is right at the heart of the Christian faith, Jesus of Nazareth. He, he is what we are all about. He is what I'm about, what Trinity is about, why I'm online doing this, why you're watching. It is why Trinity Church exists. If you don't know much about what Christians believe, please stay with me as I try to explain and say more about it, as I try to tell us more about Jesus from the Bible. And for everybody watching, for our, our whole church family, I, I want to use these next weeks in Acts to keep giving you compelling reasons to keep holding out the Lord Jesus Christ to the world around us, to your friends and family around you. I want to keep encouraging you to speak for Jesus and to live for Jesus in these really difficult times. He is the greatest person the world has ever seen. He is the greatest person we know, isn't he? And he is the greatest person for surprising reasons. The reasons that Jesus is great are not all the normal reasons that somebody gets called great in our world. The, the preacher of this sermon in Acts, he does two things here to encourage his listeners, the people who wanted a word of encouragement. Both of these things are about the Lord Jesus. But Paul is shining a light here on who Jesus is. And I want it, my prayer is, that it will encourage you as you listen. So here's the two things. Number one, Jesus is at the heart of this world's big story. Number one, Jesus is at the heart of this world's big story. And number two, Jesus is the answer to this world's big problem. Both of them about Jesus at the heart of the world's story and the answer to the world's big problem. Number one, Jesus is at the heart of this world's big story. I don't know if it would be your first choice or my first choice. If somebody asked you to encourage them, to give them a history lesson. But that's what Paul does here, doesn't he? You can see it as you look at it in front of you. Build us up, Paul, they say. Send us out on our way with hearts full and with good news ringing in our ears. And Paul says, OK, well, let's go right back to the very beginning. And actually, when you think about it, people love stories, don't they? People love stories. Most nations have treasured stories, stories of their past, stories that people love to hear again and again. Look at verse 17. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers a long time ago, is how Paul begins, in a land far, far away. 
And very simply, what Paul does is this. He tells the story of Israel to say that there is someone in that story who is at the heart of world history, not just their history. There is somebody in our story, Paul is saying, our Jewish story, who is at the heart of world history, not just our history. See, look who Paul is talking to here. Verse 16. Men of Israel, you Jewish people who fear God. Verse 17. The God of this people, Israel, he knows who he's speaking to. People who have open Bibles in front of them, who have a rich history behind them. The Jewish race and the Jewish religion is about one people group with a rich tapestry. Look how he traces it here all the way to Egypt, verse 17, and then from Egypt to Canaan, then to the judges, then to Samuel, and then to the monarchy. It is a a massive condensing of hundreds and hundreds of years into a brief summary. This is one nation's grand story and all its dirty laundry is there. Verse 18, God had to put up with them in the wilderness. All its triumphant successes are there, verse 19. And the greatest thing that ever happened to it is here. Their king was given to them, David, a man after God's own heart. There he is in verse 21 and verse 22. This is a story all about Jewish history. And yet this is not just about their history. There is somebody in this story, in their history, who is at the heart of world history. See, just just look down to the very end of our passage this morning. Look where we're going to pick up next week in verse 44. It is not just the Jews who gathered to listen, but look what Paul says, look what Luke says in verse 44. The whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Paul is telling them, There is somebody who is connected to everybody, not just to Jews. There is someone in our story who everybody needs to hear about, the whole city needs to know about. There he is back in verse 23. See, that's why when Paul gets to the monarchy, when he gets to verse 21, tells them that God gave them Saul and then gave them David, That's why in verse 23, he jumps all the way to Jesus. He stops the far off history and comes to their immediate history. The the kings in Israel climaxed in David and David's offspring is Jesus. God promised David a son, a king who would come from his family line and who would rule the world forever. He would sit on David's throne and his reign would never end, never end. That, that's why Paul tells the story of Jesus from verse 24 onwards to say that everything that happened to Jesus was a fulfillment of all these Old Testament scriptures. The ancient scriptures said three things would happen. Paul picks three Old Testament quotations. You see them in verse 33, verse 34, and verse 35. All of these Old Testament quotations are talking about God's King, and Paul says Jesus is that man. Look at them. Verse 33, our ancient story said that God would send his own King, his own King, his own Son. That's Jesus. Verse 34, God will send a universal king. 
a king who will rule everyone. That's Jesus. Verse 35, not just his own king, not just a universal king. Verse 35, God will send an eternal king. A king who would not die and lie in a grave like every other king who has ever lived. That's Jesus. See, friends, here's what Paul is saying. Because Jesus lived and because Jesus died and rose again from the dead, there is no other king like him anywhere else in the world. Not just in Israel, not just in our history, but in any part of world history. It's why Jesus is at the heart of the world's big story. He is the only ruler at any time, at any place to rise again from the dead and still be alive today. He is utterly unique. See, this is how Paul was trying to encourage these sermon listeners. Everything God promised you in your Bibles that you have open on your laps, he's saying, Everything God promised you, he has given you in Jesus. He's kept his promises, fulfilled his scriptures. Your king has come. You you rejected him. But God raised him and you can be forgiven. And this is how I want to encourage you, friends, as we listen today to this. The Lord Jesus is at the heart of the world's big story. For long before we ever arrived on this globe, for our brief passing time, 60, 70, 80 years if we're fortunate, long before we were ever here and long after we will be gone from it, Jesus is ruling his world. He is alive. He is the eternal king. Look at verse 36. Like King David... We will serve the purpose for which God has put us on earth. And then after that, we will fall asleep. We will die and our bodies will be overcome with corruption. They will decompose. But look what Paul is saying. Jesus has not seen corruption. His body is not in a tomb somewhere. There are no dry bones. He is alive. Jesus is at the heart of world history. See all of these, this history lesson, what Paul is saying here, he's he's putting in front of us someone who is utterly different, utterly unique. He is saying that throughout the whole history of the world, there is a purpose, there is one person that all of world history is about. What if in the world there is one person of Absolute beauty, absolute truth, absolute goodness. What if? What if in the whole of the world there is one person who is just pure goodness all the way through? There is no shadow in him, no dark side, no secret vices, no selfishness that just creeps out now and then. A person who only speaks truth, a person who only loves what is right, a person who never serves themselves. What if in the world there was somebody like that? Wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be amazing? Jesus is that person. God has given us somebody utterly unique. Jesus at the heart of world history means that what if question is a reality. 
God has given us someone who is absolute beauty, absolute truth. There is a man who walked this earth untainted, unspoiled, unbroken. And from every part of his life, his words, his death and his resurrection, from every part, good news shines out into our world. And friends, at the minute, it is very possible that for many people watching, death has come much closer to home in recent days and weeks than ever before. We always live with death, of course, don't we? And all over the world, of course we do. But at the minute, globally, death is staring us all in the face much, much more closely than ever before. It is a shared experience for many. God is putting in front of us our, our mortality, our frailty, our weakness. We we grieve, our hearts are broken at those we've lost. And here in this sermon, Paul is saying, yes, but there is one person, one person, one person only whose body has not seen corruption, who is alive. I want to encourage you with that, friends, at the minute. If death has come close, your own death perhaps looming closer. The death of loved ones near to you. Jesus is alive. There is somebody who has conquered death. Death is not the end. Can you see how beautiful this person is? How amazing this person is? It's why he's at the heart of the story. Paul knows, you see, he knows the story of Jesus. As his light shines out. As he lived and taught and walked among us, the uneducated, the unclean, the unnoticed, find themselves face to face with God and they are overwhelmed by his love. Jesus is a holy man, but hugging lepers. He is a righteous man, feasting with sinners. He is a pure man, kissed by prostitutes. He is a shepherd for lost sheep, a doctor for the sick, a ransom for captives. He is Bread for the hungry, a fountain for the thirsty, a friend for the friendless. He forgives the guilty, restores the shameful, frees the imprisoned. He leads the lost, he touches and heals the sick. He even raises the dead. He is like a walking one-man paradise on earth. And with this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, wrongs are righted. Wrongs are righted because here's the second thing to be encouraged by. Here's number two. Not just number one, that Jesus is at the heart of the world's big story, but number two, Jesus is also the answer to the world's big problem. Jesus is the answer to the world's big problem. Do you know, last year, last year on my birthday, I think about midday, I could hear two children wrestling in the living room. It's, it's the kind of noise in our house where as you hear it, you know it is only going to be a matter of time before there is blood spilt or screams or something gets broken. And before I could get there on this particular occasion to give my usual uh, polite request to stop what's happening and to carry on, I would be ignored. Uh, before I could get there, we heard an almighty bang from the living room. And on arrival into the living room, what did I find? Two Two children sitting on the sofa and a precious living room lamp sheared in two, broken. Now, those children, my children, at right at that moment, as I enter the room, they have a problem, don't they? 
What, what is their problem? What, what do they need at that point? Now, like me, maybe several things go through your head right now. Not all of them shareable online in a setting like this. But those children need something from me, don't they? If our relationship is to be restored and what they needed from me, what they needed through me, is exactly what Paul says here the world needs. Look at verse 38. Here is the climax of the whole sermon. Let it be known to you, brothers, that through this man, through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Through the writer, Ernest Hemingway has a short story called The Capital of the World. Madrid is full of boys named Paco. And there is a Madrid joke about a father who came to Madrid and who put an advert in the newspaper that said, Paco, meet me at Hotel Montana on Tuesday at noon. All is forgiven, Papa. And a squadron of the civil guard on Tuesday at at noon had to be called out to disperse the 800 young men who came to answer the advertisement. Oh, the longing for forgiveness in the human heart. Sons, daughters, mothers, fathers. And here, God is the one saying to us, nothing in the world can ever really be mended without forgiveness. Nothing can be mended without forgiveness. See, my two children that day, sitting in the living room on the sofa with a broken lamp, that those two children are a microcosm, aren't they, of the whole world. There they sat with something broken. They'd broken something precious to me. They'd ignored my loving request not to engage in that kind of behaviour. And on the other side of it, something is now damaged. Now on the other side of their actions, all my law, all my requests, all my, everything I'd said to them could not help them. That's what we're all like, Paul is saying here in verse 38 and 39. Look, Jew and Gentile alike, this is God's world. He made it and we broke it. And the law of Moses, verse 39, the law of Moses, those Ten Commandments, they cannot help you once you've broken them. They just show you you're guilty. They just make you stare at it. They rub it in your face that you've done what you shouldn't do. See, imagine with me just for a moment. Imagine it's you sitting there on the sofa or me sitting there. Imagine somehow it's all of us, every single person in the world, every man and woman in world history. And that living room is the world, creation. And we've gone about our lives envying, lusting, not honouring our parents, nursing anger, not loving the Lord our God above and beyond anyone and anything else. We don't treasure Sabbath rest and church family life more than we love working and working and getting and getting. Because of how we've lived our lives in that living room, there are just cracks everywhere. There are bangs everywhere, broken promises all over the floor, damaged relationships in our past, in our histories that we had a hand in. And this is God's world. It is his house we're sitting in. 
And then we hear his footsteps in the hallway. We hear his voice at the door. And he enters and there we are with with his broken law in his hands, the Ten Commandments. And we're trying to piece it together quickly before he sees us. We're trying to stick it back together and he walks in. Oh dear friends, what do we need when that happens? What do I need? What do you need? We need forgiveness. We need someone to absorb the cost of putting right what we've broken, don't we? Forgiveness. That's what forgiveness is. Absorbing the cost. Now, I need to be honest with you, friends watching this. My kids are watching this with me. They're waiting for me to say this. I know they will tell you that it took me a while that day to get to the forgiveness that I needed to give them. It took me longer to get there than it should have. In fact, by the end of the day, I was the one needing forgiveness. Needed forgiveness myself by the time it was all over. But in the end, their relationship was restored, not by them emptying their piggy bank to pay me back, but by me saying, I'll pay for it. I I will absorb the cost of putting this right. I will put it right and you can be forgiven. You see, that that's what Jesus did. The, the very law that we have broken, the very law that we have broken is the same law that says the person who breaks it deserves to die. See, the, the highest offence in the land is treason, isn't it? Attempting to do away with our sovereign. That's what we've done. That's what every single person in the world has done. Intended to do away with God and to go it alone And every person who tries to do away with God deserves God's punishment for trying to do away with him. God's punishment is that he does away with us. But look what God did. Look at verse 28. Look what verse 28 says. And through, and though they found in Jesus, and though they find in Jesus no guilt worthy of death, They asked Pilate to have him executed. No law breaking in Jesus, no guilt in Jesus. There was no moment where God walked in and found him with two things broken, pulled apart that should never have been pulled apart. No, he was guiltless, perfect. And he says to you, to me, I'll pay for it. I'll pay for what you've broken. I'll absorb the cost. I will pay. And so forgiveness flows. Oh, friends, the world's biggest problem is not the coronavirus, as awful and as serious as it is. It is the need to have our sins forgiven. Coronavirus may take us in death, but on the other side of death is God and the Lord Jesus, our judge. The one whose world we've spoiled. No, our biggest problem is sin. And the need to have our sins forgiven. My sins, your sins. Can I encourage you friends today to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and find him at the heart of world history. Find him there as the greatest king the world has ever seen. Because he lives forever. And come to Jesus and find him as the answer to the greatest problem we have. Guilt before God that needs to be forgiven. 
whatever you've done can be forgiven. Whatever you've done. Do you know at the minute I'm finding Sundays really tough, particularly tough. Turns out that in our house, Sundays are the day when I most need my family's forgiveness. You, You may be different, probably something else for you, but perhaps there are new pressures for you in lockdown. Maybe there's people in your past you know you need to say sorry to and ask forgiveness from. Every sin against somebody else is first and foremost a sin against God. It is his world. And through Jesus only can forgiveness flow. You know, I know know of a minister, a friend, who had somebody in his congregation come to see him, they said, I've got some things in my past, I just, I have to confess to you, I need to tell somebody about about this, and it is so awful. The burden has been crushing me. And as my friend met with this dear person in his congregation, when it came to the moment of speaking the sins out loud, my, my, my friend says this person was so ashamed, they could not even lift up their head to look him in the eye, never mind to get the words out. He said, it is so awful, I cannot speak it. My friend said, look, here's a piece of paper, write down, why don't, why don't you write down what it is you've done on the piece of paper? Get, get it out that way. The man wrote. And my, my friend took the piece of paper and took a lighter and set fire to the paper. And together they watched it burn. My friend said, this is what Jesus can do for you. This is what forgiveness means. Forgiveness of sins, all the things that we cannot be freed from any other way. God has placed on Jesus' shoulders in his death on the cross. Brothers, give us a word of encouragement. That's what Paul was asked, wasn't he? Well, I hope, like me, you have found this sermon, Paul's sermon, profoundly encouraging. For we have in Jesus a king who lives forever. We have in Jesus a saviour who laid down his life for us, whose life-giving death washes us clean. And in this time of global crisis, this same God and this same king and saviour will hold us and keep us. And forgive our sins and make us new. So may it be for you today. God bless you. Amen.